And this is a song Brother Clayton taught us when he was here, 817. A song we need to go over a couple times and learn a little better. 817, I Need Jesus. I need Jesus, my need I now confess. No friend like Him in times of deep distress. I need Jesus, the need I gladly own. Though some may bear their load alone, yet I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. Need Him in the sunshine hour. Need Him when the storm clouds lower. Every day along my way, yes, I need Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful song? I just love that. Here we go. Let's sing the second and the third. I need Jesus. I need a friend like Him. A friend to guide when paths of life are dim. I need Jesus. My foes, my soul assail. Alone I know I can but fail, so I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. Need Him in the sunshine hour. Need Him when the storm clouds roar. Every day along my way, yes, I need Jesus. On that last 817, I need Jesus. I need Him to the end. No one like Him. He is a sinner's friend. I need Jesus. No other friend will do. So constant, kind, so strong and true. Yes, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. Need Him when the sunshine hour. Need Him when the storm clouds lower. Every day along my way, yes, I need Jesus. And let's sing one fun song we did last time. And uh, let's turn to 123. That's the song that goes slow and fast, and then fast and slow. Uh, come ye shepherds. Come all ye shepherds. 123. Pay close attention. Follow. We'll have a lot of fun here. Here we go. Come all ye shepherds, ye children of earth. Come ye, bring greetings to yon heavenly birth. 
Christ the Lord unto us is given, whom God for Savior sent down from heaven. Fear not ye him. Hasten then, hasten to Bethlehem's stall. There to see heaven descend to us all. With holy feeling there, humbly kneeling, we will adore him, bow down before him. Worship the King. Angels and shepherds together we go. Seeking this Savior from all earthly woe. While angels swinging his praises singing, hands echoes ringing, peace on earth bringing. Good will to men. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for just allowing us to meet together tonight. We ask that you would bless this time around your word we pray that you would open its beauty to us allow us to see and be built up in your word give us strength to continue serving you in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated and uh we can praise the lord i i believe the uh, transit strike is supposed to be over did some of did anybody make it in on the trains tonight or as not yet okay so just keep uh walking hopefully tomorrow morning they'll uh get them going and uh but uh christmas eve um we will not have our regular visitation and things saturday afternoon uh because we would like for you to uh have whatever time that you uh need to get things done so that uh you could be here for the service uh, Saturday night. That'll be 7.30, a uh, special Christmas Eve service. We'll try to keep the time. Uh, we'll be careful with the time and uh, try to keep the service to about an hour, maybe just uh, a few more minutes, but it shouldn't be any uh, longer than that. And so would uh, just ask you to uh, consider that a great way to... Uh, start your Christmas celebration and uh, uh, we'll be having some between Christmas Eve and, and Sunday morning uh, I've got some strange and unusual things floating around in this brain up here and I'm hoping that uh, uh, it will uh, be a blessing to you and uh, uh, will be a special time we, we want to uh, Christmas on uh, Sunday morning does not happen very often uh, the last time was 1994, and uh, wasn't that the name of a book or something? Oh, that's right, that was Harold Camping's book. Uh, uh, but uh, anybody needs a good joke? Uh, he thought Jesus was coming back in 1994, and uh, of course he had his first date set you know, sometime early in September. Uh, and then he said, oh, I got my math wrong and did it another week in September. And then he said, oh, I did it wrong again and, and did it a date in October. And then when he struck out three times, he said, well, you know, maybe I just don't know when the Lord's coming back. And he hasn't said much about it since. And uh, we uh, uh, rejoice in that. Uh, we don't know when the Lord's coming back. Jesus said, 
no man knoweth the day nor the hour and uh, I'll agree with Jesus amen and so uh, we'll be trying to um, start at 1030 as close to on time as we possibly can being Baptist and uh, we'll go right through and try to have everything over uh, between 1215 and 1230 but uh, we're going to be doing some uh, different things Christmas Eve and uh, and Christmas Day and I think some of them will touch your heart hopefully some of them will be a little funny and uh, and uh, we'll just enjoy ourselves uh, serving the Lord and worshiping him it's kind of funny it's uh, Christmas Day it's supposed to be the celebration of Christ's birthday and nobody wants to come to church on Sunday uh, but uh, we'll do our best, and of course, we understand the holidays are few and far between. Uh, we need time to spend with our family, and that's what Christmas ought to be about, amen? Uh, Jesus was not born on Christmas Day, um, not even Christmas Eve, uh, not even in the wintertime. Uh, we're not sure when Jesus was born, but according to the Bible, it was either late March or early April. Uh, I tend to prefer the fall myself, either late September or early October, uh, but we're, uh, we're just not sure. And uh, we won't be dogmatic about that, which we cannot be, which the Bible does not clearly state. But we'll have some fun and some enjoyable things, and so make sure you're here for those services. And, you know, it may just be one of those opportunities where you can get some friends or unsaved loved ones to come with you uh, you cannot present the gospel message, I mean the Christmas story, without presenting the gospel message. It's, uh, well, I guess some people do, but that's kind of like what the public school does with Thanksgiving. You talk about Thanksgiving, but you can't talk about God. Uh, it's not there. Uh, the whole story of Thanksgiving is about being thankful to God. Amen? And, and the whole story about Jesus' birth is the fact that He has brought us salvation he did not come to do anything except to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins and we'll have that uh, echoed uh, uh, once and again in our Bible study tonight uh, we're going through the specific prophecies here we're in our fifth week on that and tonight we're going to try to cover the resurrection uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ and your outline is uh, very scarce. If you need one, wave your hand there, and we'll get Brother Teddy or Brother George to get you one there. And, um, but um, as we go through these chapters, uh, you are going to, if you've not been through them before, or if it's been a while, your eyes are going to be open. Uh, it is absolutely unbelievable how detailed the description of the crucifixion was already written into the Bible. And uh, yet, people tried to explain this away and say, well, it's not talking about Jesus. Well, pray tell, who is it talking about, my friend? Uh, it is talking about our Lord and Savior. So, uh, let's uh, be where we need to be. And um, uh, again, we'll just do what we can to, to help if the transportation is not going tomorrow, um, uh, we'll do whatever we can. But uh, sounds like everybody's been surviving somewhat anyway. 
And uh, so we'll pray that things get back to normal. Amen? Quickly. So let's uh, sing one more song. How about 390? This is a great Christmas song. Love lifted me. Amen? 390 in your hymn books. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could have love lifted me. All my heart to Him I give, ever to Him I cling, in His blessed presence live, ever His praises sing, love so mighty and so true. Merits my soul's best songs, faithful, loving service to to Him belong. Sing it out! Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could have. Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could have. Love lifted me. Souls in danger, look above, Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by His love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea, wills His will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be, be saved today. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could have love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could have love lifted me. Amen. You may be seated. I heard what you were singing, Stephen. He was not singing the right words to the song. Uh-oh. We'll talk about that later. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. And these are prophecies about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus had two things to say about the prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, these are, he said it more than once. Each of the Gospels record uh, varying uh, things of this. Luke worded it as, as succinctly as possible, and that's why I put the two verses from Luke there. Jesus is speaking to the disciples before the crucifixion, saying, For I say unto you that this is written... I say unto you that this, that is written, must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And then in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, this is after the resurrection. 
uh, Sunday evening of Resurrection Sunday, and he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, these two verses are not the only passages where Jesus told the disciples that he repeated often that he must suffer many things of the Jews, that he must die, and that he would raise again the third day. In fact, it was uh, his greatest enemies, the, the religious leaders of his day, that when Jesus was buried, went to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and said, this deceiver said that he would rise again in three days. Now, they understood a whole lot more than the disciples. You don't hear the disciples saying he's going to rise again in three days. They were hiding. They were so afraid that they were going to be the next one that was going to be nailed to the cross. And yet these religious leaders had been listening to what Jesus said enough to understand that they wanted a Roman guard to secure that tomb until the third day so that the disciples could not come and steal the body and proclaim a false resurrection. It is absolutely amazing that you have these religious leaders. Some of their group were responsible for copying the Hebrew manuscripts that make up our Bible today. Other men of those groups were responsible for putting their hands on the sacrifices and offering them every day in the temple. The high priest on the Day of Atonement would confess the sins of Israel and put his hands upon that sacrifice and pour the blood, uh, or sprinkle the blood actually on the white marble slab in the Holy of Holies because the mercy seat had been gone for centuries. And yet these men, as they were the most responsible for all of these things, in fact, it was the disciples that would say, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, Christ whom ye crucified. When they were hauled in before the scribes and the Pharisees, it was Peter again that stuck his finger in the face of those scribes and Pharisees and said, you are the ones that crucified Jesus. In fact, they accused the disciples of, of laying the blood of Jesus uh, at their reputation, at their feet. And uh, the disciples said, where else does it go, my friend? In fact, when Peter preached the first gospel message to the Gentile in Acts chapter 10, he said, whom they crucified. Now, who was Peter preaching to? A Roman centurion. He didn't blame the Romans for Jesus' crucifixion. They understood so much. And though this verse is not in your outline, I just feel impressed. We need to start in John chapter 11, and then we'll go back to, to the, the book of Psalms. Let's go to John chapter 11. Because there was a, a little prophecy even in the midst of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the context here is they are debating what to do 
because of the story, because of the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And they're in their meeting, and one of them named Caiaphas, being high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us. Now look who he says, for us. That one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation also, but that he should also gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Look at verse 53. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put Jesus to death. Did you get that, what he's saying there? And he said, I prophesied by the power of God that it is expedient that this man die and that the whole nation doesn't perish and that he's going to gather together in one all the children of God that are abroad. And so if he's supposed to die, we're going to make him die. Can you imagine that? And so we start here with their desire to crucify Jesus being spurned or being uh, motivated by a prophecy by the high priest that somehow this was going to be good for all the world. And of course, the greatest event in all history is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's the only good news I know. I don't know about you, but I, I tried to follow this transit strike thing fairly closely, and, and everybody says, oh, it's good news, the strike is over. Is there a contract? Has any of the problems been solved? No. Is that really good news? Not really. I mean, we're just, you know, we're just prolonging the problem, aren't we? I'll tell you good news. Jesus died. He was buried, and he rose again, and he offers eternal life to all who will believe on his name. Now, you notice I didn't say to all who go to church or all who do nice things or all who help other people. Uh, I mean, those are all good things. We ought to do those things, but that's not going to get you to heaven. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is taking your sins and believing that he is able and has paid for them and giving God your sin. I mean, most religion teaches us that what we need to do is we need to give God our good works and he'll either ignore or put away or forget about or forgive or some word that they don't apply the proper definition to because the word forgiveness uh, in the biblical sense always has payment attached. God forgives nothing unless it is paid for. Now, of course, you and I could never pay for our sin because the penalty of sin is what? Death. So God himself died in our place so we could be free. Hey, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. That's God's work. And you come to God, and He'll give you 
forgiveness of sin. The greatest gift a human being can receive. Amen? Is forgiveness of sin and peace with God. And it all comes through Jesus Christ. His death was prophesied. And, and, I, and I hate to talk about scholarly things that most people pay no attention to. But if you are one, and, and I really don't recommend you do this, but a lot of people do, listen to all those preachers and things on the radio and on Christian radio. And somebody says, "What do you listen to Christian radio? I said, no, I don't. It raises my blood pressure too high. Uh, because I hear all the screwy things that everybody's talking about. And one of the things that you'll hear referred to often, and if you want to, just start listening for it. If you listen to that and you'll hear somebody say that Jesus presented himself to the Jewish people when he rode that little donkey through the gate, uh, eastern gate of Jerusalem, he presented himself as the king and the Jews rejected him. Therefore, Jesus had to go to the cross. Now, that is a bucket load full of baloney. It's a whole bunch of scraps of things that were chopped up, put in a pail, mixed together, boiled to mash, and it's sold to you for meat. Okay? Uh, it is only technically true that baloney is a meat. It's a meat byproduct. All right? Uh, it's not real. Uh, baloney does not have four legs and hooves and all those kind of things. It's just a bunch of stuff mixed together and uh, that's what a lot of doctrine taught in churches is it's just baloney it's a bunch of little scraps all mixed together and boiled down Jesus was on his way to the cross as he rode the donkey through the eastern gate of Jerusalem he wanted people to understand that he as the king of this world was the one who was going to pay the price for our sins. It was not something any human being could do. I love this stuff. And, and we're not getting into the prophecies yet, but, uh, I mean, you just got to put it in the context here. You got to understand what's going on. And in Psalm chapter 16, we'll get to the first prophecy here. Let's um, look at verse, oh, let's start reading in verse 8. Um... It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence, fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. These verses in the book of Acts are related to the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of corruption uh, is all related to the things in the Bible and the, the way the Jewish people lived their life. When someone died, the Jewish funeral was held within hours of death. Uh, you did not take the body to uh, the um, funeral home and, and have that guy do all kinds of things to the body and, uh, because a, a mortician would be eternally unclean and never able to worship in the temple because you touch a dead body, you were unclean seven days. 
And so this was something that the family took care of. You took the person, you, you stretched them out in the house there for an hour or so. The people came over, you got a big parade, and you marched them out to the cemetery, and you buried them. Uh, the mourning process would last, uh, consist of several different things, but there was a three-day period where the grave was actually allowed to be opened, and they would take spices and, and sweet-smelling things that they had not been able to get in the moment of death, and they would go in there in the mourning process and, and, and put those things uh, on the body and, and there. And, of course, they would be unclean as they did this. They were already unclean because they had uh, buried the body. But when that third day came, they sealed up the tomb because the spices would no longer make any difference. I mean, it was things were going to happen. And uh, we don't need to get into all that gore and whatever tonight, but uh, that was the meaning of these verses. And it says, Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell in the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. This is talking about Jesus being resurrected before the end, or before the beginning, actually, of the fourth day. And... Uh, uh, as we go through, there's a great argument, and we're not going to get into that again, about what day the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on. Everybody says Friday, but it's awful hard to get three days and three nights between Friday evening and Sunday morning. Uh, in fact, I think you'd have to be an accountant to get that thing done. Uh, you know, math works for everybody but accountants. Uh, the accountant says the the... The young child says 2 plus 2 equals 4. Uh, the advanced math is 2 plus 2 equals 22, right? Well, however they do that. And the accountant says it's whatever you need it to be. And he'll just go in there and work it all out. And uh, uh, that's, Jesus was in there three days, three nights. That's what the Bible says. And it said, He will not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And And look what... I mean, you look at the preceding verses, and they talk about the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at right, my right hand. I shall not be moved. Christ is, the, the prophet is saying here, David is prophesying. Jesus said, listen, I am doing God's will. I will not be deterred. I will not be moved. I will not be disappointed in what is going on. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth my flesh. Jesus' body. How was he able to endure? Jesus was a man as well as he was God. How did he endure all of these things that were done to him? It was because of the power of God in him. Amen. Yeah, that's, it says, uh, my flesh shall also rest in hope. What was that hope? The hope was the resurrection. The hope was that his suffering would take away the sins of all who would believe. Amen. And then you look at verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. It was his death that brought you and I life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. When we come before the Lord Jesus Christ as a sinner on our way to hell and are willing to admit who and what we are before a holy God and trust only in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross 
and his resurrection from the dead, what does the Bible say? Thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10, verses uh, 9 and 10. It says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth thee, Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not one drop of water in that verse. Amen? You don't get baptized into heaven unless it's God that's doing the baptizing. Amen? You do not. And by the way, God doesn't have any substitutes. He does it all by himself. Uh, I don't baptize anybody into heaven. I don't baptize people into the body of Christ. That's the work God does the moment you trust him as your personal Savior. What we do up here with water called baptism is a physical picture a living picture and that's what we're going to be getting into in the following weeks is not direct prophecies but um, how Christ is pictured and his work is pictured in the Old Testament I, I can't wait because we get to go through the tabernacle again and we get to look at the lives of different individuals and all the things where Christ is pictured in in the Old Testament and so we, it says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. How many of you have found the pleasure in serving Christ as a saved, born-again person? I'll tell you, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I don't have to do weird stuff to be born again. I had somebody, are you one of those born-again churches? And I always say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I was watching the television. They were talking about born again. They were jumping over to pews and they were rolling down the aisles and they were screaming and they were hollering and they were doing all this weird stuff. Now, is your church like that? I said, no, no, no. Our, our church isn't like that. Uh, not at all. Uh, because it is not phenomena that saves you. It is Jesus that saves you. It's that simple. Let's turn Psalm 22. Now, there are 31 verses in this psalm. And uh, I wish we had time tonight to read through every verse of this psalm and just, well, we just may do that. We may spread this lesson out over several weeks. I'm not sure yet, but let's, let's get started. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does anybody know where those words were quoted in the New Testament? Jesus said them from the cross. The only time in Jesus' recorded life in the New Testament that he referred to any God as anything but Father was while he was hanging on the cross in the darkness. And he cried out, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let's read on. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, remember, darkness was over the face of the earth. For three hours as Jesus hung on the cross and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. 
They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. How many people know where that verse was used? Who used that verse on crucifixion day? It was these scribes and these Pharisees. As they were walking down the street, looking at Jesus hanging on the cross and rejoicing that they had finally conquered the Nazarene, as they loved to call him. They heard him cry out in the darkness, Psalm 22, verse 1. And their answer was Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. And yet they could not see that they were fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. The blindness is terrifying. Jesus is speaking in verse 10. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Many The strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Now, I want you to think about what this verse says. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, they put a spear in his side. And that's when they took that spear out, what happened? The Bible in the book of John says, blood and water flowed out. It says, I am poured out like water. A doctor read the account of the crucifixion many years ago and wrote about it and said, when something like that happens, when the blood and the water separate, yeah, that's probably what it was. There we go. Um, the blood and the water separate in the body cavity that it comes from a, an acute, uh, actually a rupture of the heart. The heart is literally torn apart. And all of the blood that is in the body, most of it just pulls up. And after a little while, it begins to separate. The water separates from the blood itself. And right here it says, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. I mean, even medical science confirms the prophet. I mean, God knew what was going on. Amen. All of my bones are out of joint. They say that when a person was crucified, there were two ways of, of doing that crucifixion. One was they would make them take the cross member, the part of the cross that goes across, and they would bear that up there, and then they would be nailed to it, and they would literally be 
hoisted into place, hanging by their hands until the cross member got to where it belonged and then it would be nailed in place and their feet would be nailed in place. Uh, the other way that they say it uh, happened was the cross was assembled completely on the ground. And of course, uh, you can't take a cross and just stand it up. There's got to, it's got to go into the ground several feet in order to support the hanging of a human body 12 or 15 feet in the air. That cross would have had to have been almost 20 foot long. It would have had to go down in the ground three or four feet. And then the body would still be up in the air. And the Romans, they were masters at this thing. And uh, they tell us that they would literally dig a hole and nail the body to the cross and then put an edge of it on the hole and pull that cross up and drop it down into that hole. And when that cross hit the bottom, every bone would be out of joint in the person nailed to the cross because of the impact of that thing going down and being held only by the hand area and by the feet. It says, my bones, all my bones are out of joint. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, verse 15, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said, I thirst. Right here, it is described. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a piece of broken pottery. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Look at verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. How can you get any more descriptive of crucifixion than these verses that are here? I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Look at verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Read the story in the gospel. As Jesus was hanging there on the cross... Here you got the Roman guards sitting down after everything's secured and, and uh, death is certain. The crowd has been stilled and they start shooting dice. That's what casting lots are basically. Just gambling over who's going to win Jesus' clothes. You see, he's not going to need them anymore. Clothing in those days was, uh, I mean... We, we do not conceive of this because most of us have more than one shirt, one pair of pants. Ladies, you have more than one dress. Uh, in those days, the average normal middle class, if we want to use that terminology, person had one set of clothes. They were what you had on. If you had a second coat or something, I mean, you were upper middle class. Let me tell you, that's the way it was. And uh, these, uh, to have more, to have a closet full of clothes was only the realm of the kings and the royalty, the richest of the rich. 
And so they were sitting here and they were looking at the robe that Jesus wore. And they said, let's not tear this thing up. Let's, let's take a chance and, and somebody's going to get him a nice robe. And yet it was prophesied right here. Then we come down to verse 19. And through 19 through the end. This is talking about God's deliverance in spite of all of these things. It says, But being not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name. Now look what it says. I will declare my name where? Unto my brethren. Did you get that? He didn't say, I will declare thy name unto the world. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Those that have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say? It says, he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. Wow. Prophesied. Adopted into the family of God. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. The congregation, the assembly, a prophecy of the local church. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Does that not talk about the salvation that Jesus gives? How could it be any more clear? The definition of the word meek, remember, is one who trusteth in the authority of another. That's why Moses was the meekest man in the Bible, because he wholly rested upon the authority and the power of God. That's the way we get salvation is by stop trying to get it ourselves and trust only in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It says, we'll eat and be satisfied. It says, um, it says they shall praise the Lord. How? That seek Him. Your heart shall live forever. Jesus said, I give unto them what? Eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father, what? Are one. Whew. I love this stuff. I hope you don't mind. I mean, this is these are things that we just need to cover. We need to understand the, the great truths that are in the Bible. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all kindreds... Of, all, of the nations shall worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. 
did you get that one? You know, I, I hate to just put politics in here, but I want you to stop and think about this. You want know the number one problem in the na the only nation in the history of the world that was founded upon the principles of the Bible is today? Obesity. Ever stop and think about that? The richest and most powerful nation in the history of the world is the United States of America. This was not founded on, this country was not founded by, by a religion or on a religion. It was founded by men who believed in the God of this book called the Bible and refused to allow any one religion to dominate or to rule this country because they believed that every man had freedom and responsibility, they go together, to worship God as he chose. What does this say here? It says, All they that be fat on the earth shall eat and worship. You're going to worship God. There, there are blessings there. Let me tell you, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the blessings and the great gifts that God gives to those people who worship him. And yet, everything we've done in the last 40 years as a nation is to reject him. And we wonder why we have so many problems. prophecies here. But look what it says. It says, All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and no man can keep alive his own soul. You cannot, no person, no group of people, can make themselves acceptable in the sight of God. You cannot keep your life alive. The quote of the great Queen Elizabeth, was as she lay dying, was my kingdom for another moment. But she couldn't get it. Now that's a sad testimony. Because the testimony of someone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ is not crying for one more moment of life. But is speaking of the rest that God gives as he allows us to pass through that veil of death and out of this, uh, as we have referred to it, the veil of tears, which we call life. We pass from this life into life eternal. We pass from mortality and sinfulness and temptation into the absence of all of those in the presence of God. If you have sought after him and trusted him as your Savior. Verse 30, a seed shall serve him. You know, that's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Jesus put it a little differently in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's, you know, we're not something new here. We didn't just begin. Uh, our church uh, started, yes, on October 8, 1992. was our first public service of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church, but we're not something new. Uh, we came from a church 
Uh, I'm sent out under the authority of the Cleveland Baptist Church of Cleveland, Ohio. Guess what? They weren't something new because Brother Thompson was sent from the Akron Baptist Temple in Akron, Ohio to start that church in Cleveland. But the Akron Baptist Temple was nothing new because Brother uh, Billington, who started the Akron Baptist Temple, came from somewhere. But I'm not going to worry about it. Amen? Because I know that Dallas Billington preached the gospel. I know that uh, our church... Uh, Brother Thompson preached the gospel. I know our church preaches the gospel. And, uh, and when, we say, when God gives us the privilege of sending someone out somewhere to start another church, guess what they're going to do? They're going to preach the gospel. Amen. A seed shall serve him. And my prayer is if Jesus doesn't come back a hundred years from now, there's somebody standing in this pulpit preaching the same message that we preach. Amen. It says, It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare His righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that He hath done this. We're fulfilling that prophecy right here tonight. You know, we only have one message at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our message. Everything else that we do and hear and say and think is all connected to the fact that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. Because without forgiveness of sin, what do you have? Have no standing with God. Have no right to enter into His presence. Because we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. The greatest truth in all of history and, and I ask you, if someone were sitting at the foot of the cross and recording the events... Now, you have to understand, the book of Psalms is poetry. It's a song. So, I mean, there are going to be ways to say things and things that are said here that are, that are said in a way to, to make it uh, uh, more than just words in order stating something. Uh, in, and I'm not a, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Uh, I don't understand. Um, I could not pronounce the Hebrew words, nor would I understand the poetry and all of the things that are involved because I'm not a Hebrew. But I'll tell you, this certainly is a graphic account of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? And I say of the Lord Jesus Christ because... The Roman soldiers didn't sit at the foot of the cross and gamble for the garments of everyone that was crucified. I say the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ because the great leaders and the most powerful men in the city of Jerusalem in his day were not all gathered together to convict every person that went to the cross. But they were. That's what it means, the bulls of Bashan have gathered around me. They were the strongest and the most powerful animals uh, that were known in the days of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, it, these things happened. How in the world could you put words in the mouths of the men that hated Jesus so? A thousand years before they were born. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And that's why we worship Him. And that's why we believe the words of this book called the Bible. 
because we want to fulfill these prophecies that are here. The seed shall serve him. Amen. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That's our job. Where would we be if someone did not declare the words of this book unto us? We'd be nowhere. We'd be on our way to hell. And we praise the Lord for his goodness. So we'll let Psalm 50 and Psalm, uh, Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 53, uh, I guess we'll just uh, try to tackle that next Thursday night. Um, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we thank you for the beauty and the incredible accuracy of your word. Lord, we thank you for the truths that are in it. We thank you most of all that it relates to our very lives where we live in New York City in the year 2005. And it'll be just as new in 2006 and just as new in eternity after we've passed through this life and have entered into the joys of your very presence. Lord, we ask that you would do a work in each heart and in each life that is here this night. And Lord, that you would fill us with an understanding of your word and your glory and your greatness. The fact that you were not the least bit hesitant to go to the cross. That you were not presenting yourself and the cross was plan B that you presented yourself as the king who would die for our sins. My prayer is that everyone in this room would know you personally as their Savior. Lord, we pray for those who have already made that decision, have been born again the Bible way, that you would help us to open our eyes to the life that you have given us and live for you in these last days. Lord, we pray for those that are in this room that may not know you as their Savior. That even tonight would be the time when they would turn from their efforts, their struggles, their understanding of things, and trust simply in the finished work of Jesus Christ to save them forever. We ask you to do your work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. And we're not going to finish that prayer. We'll just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment. And if you need to step out and come to an old-fashioned altar and spend a little time with the Lord, that's what we would encourage you to do. In this moment of silence, if you're here and you're not sure about your salvation, if you'd be willing to let some, one of us take this book called the Bible and just show you how you may know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. The best way I know how to do that is just as no one's looking around. Would you simply just step out of your seat and we'll have somebody take you to a private place and show you how you could know. Just in this moment of silence, if you need to pray, now is the time. We won't be long, but if you need to pray,